Hey everyone, this podcast is part of Story Mode, the podcast network of Gamefully Unemployed. You can support us and gain access to other great exclusive podcasts at patreon.com slash gamefully unemployed. That's patreon.com slash G-A-M-E-F-U-L-L-Y unemployed, which is spelled like it sounds. Hey, hi everybody! Welcome back to 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 movie movies, movie fuckers. That's us. <laughs> we actually do name. have a name for this series now, which we, we came up with on the third episode. So we can now actually say a name, and maybe you'll maybe when you go back and edit all of these, you'll add a theme song <laughs> or something. I don't know. I I did add a theme song. I I kept it very minimal, because uh, I found that people don't care i guess people people like hearing people talk uh i think structure is fun uh but from what i can tell people are generally just this is this is what they're here for is just people shooting the shit you know uh yeah it depends on the show like and sometimes they'll tolerate that other times they will not but like if you're listening to an episode of reply all you're not expecting them just hang out and chat for a while like that's for sure but uh this is they surely are not expecting that from this series like you don't have a giant building full of producers and no 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 however many hundreds of millions of dollars gimlet media has to bring in all of the world's experts on these subjects and spend literally a year (laughs) you know creating one episode that is not that is not our situation no no this is a this is a pretty quick turnaround although we did do these in advance so like by the time people listen to this they'll be they'll be like settled in to this show and know what they're what they're getting uh and I'm sure we've we'll, we'll be hearing all sorts of feedback from people that uh, we can ignore because we're in the past, yeah. uh, which is fun. It's nice. That so, does tie into the theme of the series, by the way, because we do understand this is specifically if for some reason you're starting on this episode and have not listened to the previous ones. This is specifically why modern blockbusters leave you feeling hollow. And I completely get that if we had J.J. Abrams or the, the people at the head of who makes the decisions at Marvel now, who's the main guy? Uh, um, Kevin Feige? Yeah, I'm sure if he was here, he would say that it is ridiculous to expect the same thing. For, like it's, it, the comparing what they do with what we want is like the difference between you making your award-winning chili that your father showed you how to make. <laughs> Versus Wendy's having to make, you know, 5,000 little cups of chili a day out of old hamburgers. Like the challenges are completely different. <laughs> that, yeah, that we they're have, trying to make, yeah, uh, they're trying to make movies for the world. Yeah, for, uh, for the yeah. world on, on a tight schedule, on an assembly line. On, like it's not, they're not allowed to just sit around and wait for inspiration to strike. That art, it would be nice if they could. Everyone working there wishes they could just sit around and dream up their dream project. But they... Like all of us have a job, and this is their job, and they're they're trying to meet these certain standards that they have to meet. And if they fail to meet them, people lose their job. So, I, we we do get it. the The fun of pointing out what seems so hollow and what doesn't work about these movies is that I feel like it helps you appreciate when movies do it right. Yes, and I also think it's 
it's good to call them out because I do think there's something that needs to be fixed, which is that I'm sure there'll be plenty of people um, pointing out ways that older movies did some of the stuff we're calling out. Uh, it's that it feels like it's escalating. Like it feels like, and again, just the blockbuster genre, uh, it feels like more and more we're hitting this point. It, it reminds me of the early 2000s where you go back and watch movies from then and you're like, wow, so this is what we had, huh? Like this is the, we, we had to be excited for like the Daredevil movie that was coming out. Uh it's similar where it's like in the moment, these are what we're getting. And, you know, people, especially coming out of a pandemic, just want to enjoy movies. But there definitely does seem to be a growing, like, problem with the way blockbusters are put together. And, I mean, we'll certainly get into that in the next episode. Uh, so it's not that these things don't happen in older movies. It's, it's more that they seem to happen more and more. At a greater rate, yeah. At least in my opinion. Please, for the love of God, nobody out there think that we're saying we need to go back to when Hollywood only made movies for the art, whereas right. now all they care about is money. Like from the invention of the film camera, somebody was like in a very cynical way saying, "Hey, I bet if I just filmed a naked woman, I could make some quick cash off this device." That was the first thought anyone had movies from the 1950s old sci-fi movies you've seen them turn up on mystery science theater 3000 they cranked out the trash what we find interesting about this is you can pinpoint specific kind of workflow things and things that they're doing now like in this era of filmmaking that is kind of distinct in that it when you kind of dig into why it boxes them in creatively, it's interesting and it is unique. It is unique to this era. Every era is, you know, it was different in the eighties when action movies were all about a few big superstars and Sloan and Schwarzenegger, you know, every era has its challenges. We are talking about the ones that are kind of distinct to this era, the era of franchises of series and streaming and all of that. Right. Yeah. There's, there's an instinct or there's, um, like a fallacy in the like they don't make them like they used to idea where it's like oh no the things that we remember uh we remember because they're good you know what i mean like we remember the we remember a handful of old films meanwhile there was a bunch of terrible films we don't remember uh so it feels like the past made better films um, I think what it is is that like these are a lot of the examples we're giving are movies that are considered good movies that I enjoy, uh, and it's the fact that like the blockbusters, the hits, are doing this stuff, and we're getting I don't know more used to it, and I don't think we should. Uh, so yeah, I guess let's let's get into this uh, this specific episode, which is we're going to be talking about. Uh, the idea of building your world, world building, creating a a universe that's believable for your characters and story to exist in. Yeah, and right away, one, this is, in my opinion, the hardest part of doing any kind of high concept movie. Because when we talk about blockbusters, especially in the modern era, you're usually talking about action, sci-fi, something that's very effects heavy. Like even the Fast and Furious movies are basically science fiction in the sense that you have completely unrealistic stunts, you have big effect sequences, that kind of thing. In that kind of a story, that kind of a movie, world building, 
like setting the rules of the world, all of that stuff is extremely important. It's also probably the hardest part, which is why so much of what they do is adaptations. It is Mm -hmm. much easier to just make another thing in the Star Wars universe rather than have to invent something brand new that is as cool as the lightsaber, that is as cool as the stormtrooper and the TIE fighter. Like having doing all this stuff from scratch, I admire anyone that that does it. So yes. it is something that is done wrong a lot. And it is also something that right away, you know, going off what we talked about in the intro, this is automatically harder when you're making a story that you suspect is going to have to be a franchise or even that you know for a fact is going to have to be a franchise. If you're making a self-contained movie of any genre, like think about a slasher movie. If somebody told you to make one movie, it's a slasher movie, it's got a beginning, middle, and end, it's got a hero, it's got all that stuff, and it's got you know, some sort of a monstrous killer. If you knew for a fact that's the only one that was ever going to be made, you have so much more freedom than if they if you had a directive like, hey, we need to be able to make a part two next year if this does well. Well, that completely changes. What's I think the a nature- good example... Oh, go on. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think a good example is Terminator, because that's a uh, that was a story that they didn't they wrote not thinking about needing sequels. And now that we've made 10 of them, this poor writer has to sit down and make the time travel universe work when it was never really designed to work, you know? And that's I think that's what you're talking about, right? Which is that as you make more movies, you have to expand the world and answer more questions about the world, and it all has to kind of make sense, right? Yes, and the more you you add more movies to it, the harder it gets to stay within the rules. And I think the less inclined creators are to stay within the rules. This is why in the last Star Wars movie, after nine movies and you know spinoff TV shows, you suddenly had the fact that force users could like basically bring people back to life. Um, and just all, and it's like, I get it. I get, you want to keep expanding and adding things, but you've created a situation where it now, like none of the previous movies make sense. Right. It's, it's weird because this is something I wanted to bring up in the next episode, but I, I got to bring up now that you remember there was a time where if a movie had like like four installments they were automatically seen as bad like making a bunch of sequels to a movie usually meant like oh this is this is a bad thing uh and i think it was kind of from this idea which is that like you tell a story and the first story you tell is the most important and necessary story and sequels are just like you know tacking on stories for money now it's just we we make movies with the assumption and setting up sequels. It's it's very different, but I think there's a lot of the same problems still there. You know, even though these movies, even though we consider sequels to be better, and we like the the studios clearly spend more time and care on making the sequels, those problems never went away. Which is that like, well, what do you do with a sequel? How do you continue the story without it feeling like tacked on? Without feeling like, oh, it's it's this is a lesser story. Uh, and I mean, some do it good, some don't, I think. Yeah, so I think your first point on our list here is a great example of where they feel like 
they have to add like more and more mythology to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this I wanted to start with because what what I want to talk about is there's a lot of movies that like like you pointed out it's it's good to start with an adaptation. There's a lot of movies that don't, and some of them world build correctly, some of them don't. And one of the things I've seen in both adaptations and non-adaptations is is movies that are like obsessing over world building to the point that it seems unnecessary. Um, another way of putting this is making your movie more sci-fi than it has to be. Um, the, the, the one that popped out at me was Jurassic World. Um, um, uh, uh, and, and, and I guess the sequel is that uh, like you're starting, you're starting with the concept of like, okay, I'm making, I'm making a movie about an amusement park full of dinosaurs. So like, I feel like the natural like direction is to write an amusement park, you know, with like rides on tracks, like a riverboat or something. And then you could think about what are cool scenes to do with that. Uh, for example, um, if something is on an automated track, like a people mover and a dinosaur breaks out and the people are like being slowly pushed towards the dinosaur. Like there's a lot of great grounded, weird ideas you could do from that concept. Um, or you go back to the first Jurassic Park, and it's T-Rex is attacking a car. They have, like, some cool new technology in the car, but it's still a car. It's something very relatable. What the new Jurassic World did instead is have these giant hamster balls uh, as a ride where people control the balls. And they have to basically invent this entirely new technology that no one really has, like, a personal relationship to and then they attack people in these hamster balls and i find that really really weird as an instinct uh because they're adding more sci-fi elements on top of it and then the internet just ended up kind of making fun of them because they would like naturally be covered in dirt and dinosaur shit rolling rolling around uh and it's it's such a weird instinct to me um and there's been a few movies that do this. Infinite, um, a movie that isn't good. Uh, and I don't think... Did Infinite make back money? I have know? not run across the movie Infinite. Where is it? Where do you find it? <laughs> I think it's on... I think it's on... It might be a Paramount Plus. It's on... You, you, I think it's on Amazon, and you can just sort of rent it. Um, yeah, it's on Amazon Prime Video... You can, I think you can pay for it, or if you have Paramount Plus, you just get it for free. It may be one of those price of that those twenty dollar rentals where it's like, unless this is the movie of the year, that's yeah. a lot to rent a movie for. Uh, like, uh, but, right. Uh, so and no. spoilers, it's not the movie of the year. Yeah, and it's uh, explain the the plot for people who have not yet seen Infinite because it has such a generic title. How many movies yes. have I watched that have Infinite as one of the words in the title? It's a lot. So Infinite is about Mark Wahlberg, um, and he, he plays a special boy who uh, is from a society of people who can remember their past lives, and they, um, they accumulate knowledge this way, which is actually a really cool idea. Like, they know how to fight and stuff like that because they've spent lifetimes learning these things. Uh, so, like, you can kind of just start from that premise... 
which it, it can almost be like you don't really have to explain like they don't really explain why they uh remember their past lives it's more supernatural uh they they also give them superpowers later which i don't want to get into but well no i i guess i should because it's it's putting a hat on a hat it's one of the ways they like keep building the world out more than they need to because they've started with a nice tight premise um on top of that for some reason the movie also seems to take place slightly in the future uh which is what a lot of these movies seem like same with jurassic world where like they have like supercars that like are like half transformers like the steering wheel can go into the other side and they introduce these elements um there's a part where the bad guy needs to like chase Mark Wahlberg off of his mansion. So like you could just have him like tell guards to go fight him and you have a fight sequence. Instead he gets in this like big holographic simulation of of like a POV of drones and like controls them using like Tony Stark hand waving technology, which again like we have drones, just use like a remote remote control or like a joystick. Um, at one point they need to kill Mark Wahlberg. They need to have him die temporarily so that he can relive past memories. So they put him in this big elaborate machine. It looks like the pod that like Captain America got turned into, uh, you know, Captain America in. Uh, and all it does is fill with water. I'm not even exaggerating. It just fills with water and drowns him. Uh, and it looks like this big tech pod. So you could literally do that with just like a, a sink and one really like muscly dude to hold him down, you know? So there's there's all these elements in Infinite that just sort of crowd the movie with these weird sci-fi concepts that have nothing to do, again, with the main thing. I think it's because they look at, like Infinite especially, it it looks, the technology looks like something in a Marvel film. And I think there's this instinct of like, well, we mind it. We, we should make this its own big universe. So let's start world building, but nothing they build has anything to do with the plot. And in fact, slows the movie down so they can explain everything. Godzilla versus uh, Kong is probably an even weirder example because they actually, it suddenly looks like it takes place at literally 75 years in the future. Yeah. But it doesn't. It's the the characters that were children in the previous movie are still children. But for some reason, they decide, okay, this takes place in a more futuristic world. It's an aesthetic that a lot of these movies have decided they just... Do you think that's a Marvel thing? Do you think they... Because, again, Tony Stark, his whole deal is he basically lives in the future, but it's just his mansion and his company. That he I, gave all that tech, like he, you know, Spider Man now has a nano tech suit, but he got it from Tony Stark. It's not common in that world. Here's what I think it might be is that I think superhero films realized because if you remember like the original Spider Man movies and like old superhero films from like the 2000s, they would take place very much in our universe. And then they'd have to explain Peter Parker would have to have a sequence where he'd like sew his perfect spider-man suit himself you know what i mean so i think they learned in superhero films it's actually a little easier to accept the plot if we're a little bumped into the future if technology is like a little better i think it makes stuff like iron man more believable uh and yeah you're right is that (laughs) 
this is a whole different conversation, but really only the Avengers are in this future. Uh, the rest of the world still has like cars and laptops and shit. Uh, but I think that's the instinct. So like Godzilla versus Kong clearly wanted to do this whole wild hollow earth stuff and kind of expand the universe. But since the previous films didn't do the work to lead up to it, they just sort of introduce it all in this movie. And suddenly there's like flying cars. Um, I think it came down to their, they were being like, we need to have Mecha Godzilla in this. Uh, so we need to make the world more like technologically advanced to make that believable. That's where I think this is coming from. And then there's the added bonus of like, yeah, it's like Marvel. It's world building. We want to have this whole like hollow earth thing. Like Godzilla versus Kong would have been a good like middle of like middle installment of this series, but it's one of the later films it's the last film and they're probably not making any more films and it feels like they're really focused on world building that should have happened two or three films ago. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, yeah, that's my best guess is that they look at Marvel and they see what they're doing. And a lot of the times it's, they don't, they don't like think about why they're doing it. They just want this also in it. Yeah, and I get that gadgets are cool and a lot of that stuff just looks neat on screen, but it matters from a world-building point of view, from a story point of view, because sometimes it just makes it unclear what's possible in that universe and yeah. what the limits are and what is available to the average person. It's also not entirely new, I think it's weird that we're now putting it in genre, different genres, but it reminds me of movies like Hackers or Johnny Mnemonic, where we look back and we go, look how silly this is, because they're trying to introduce like VR and like new technology that doesn't exist yet um, to, again, like try to expand their film. But those movies are, are definitely sci-fi, and the gadgets come into play, and that's part of it. Whereas these movies seem to just like cram them in there well and or they become more sci-fi as they go which is not a logical progression for a universe building in a fictional That's like true. a franchise like there's no reason why like things could become more and more modern but there's no reason why okay we're four movies in they now need like some sort of hover boots or something it, it's like right. that's not a logical progression and i know that in the world of horror like I think in the Halloween series by movie, I don't know, five or something, they had revealed this whole lore behind Michael Myers and that he was the yeah. product of shaman rituals or something. Like they felt the need, like, well, we've gone on long enough, we need to expand this, and there needs to be some sort of grand myth mythology behind why he is the way he is or whatever, but... Do you like? Is it possible maybe that the the franchise just didn't need to go that long? <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe maybe you just need to not make that many movies when you start having to explain it all. Yeah. Um, the Godzilla versus Kong is wild because that universe, a universe where giant monsters keep routinely destroying cities, should actually go backward. Like they should be having economic troubles, right? Like the movie, the world should get more dystopian as opposed to more technologically advanced. Like I've seen good versions of this. Uh, it's not a good movie, but the Independence Day sequel 
justify it by saying, well, all these ships crashed and we took their technology. So now we have all this cool shit because we're, we, you know, reverse engineered everything. Like that actually made sense in that universe as a smart way to make it look futuristic. Whereas like, yeah, there's, they're not getting new technology from these kaiju's bodies. They're just rotting and causing a problem. And meanwhile, and I know we've in the episodes leading up to now, we have picked on the tomorrow war a lot. Yeah. Please for, for future historians reviewing this podcast, it's a movie. It's, it's a big movie that had just come out when we recorded this. So it's a good, and it is almost textbook bad. And it it somehow managed (laughs) just to commit almost every sin we've mentioned on this entire series but there's a yeah. case where it does take place part of it in the future, 30 years in the future. One, it takes place 30 years in the future. Two, a 30 years in the future in which they've been fighting a world war against these creatures for three straight years and steadily losing. But in that future, the technology is exactly the same as modern day. The guns and weapons are the same as modern day. They don't have anything that's effective against the, the alien creatures like the clothes, every, their slang, everything is identical to my, they put zero thought into the world building of what that future would look like. When even just a second draft of that screenplay should say, well, now hold on. If humans have been fighting against these aliens for three straight years in, across every country on earth, we would have some pretty wild weapons. Like if you look at what we began world war two fighting with and what we ended the war fighting with, it like it's radical what happened because war is like that it's you know war radically advances technology so it should have had all sorts of cool stuff and gadgets and things to look at when they get into the future but they didn't bother with that whereas that's oh sorry it's that that's like the opposite end of the spectrum right where they don't even they don't even try to world build exactly and but meanwhile having a time travel machine is almost incidental. It's like, Mm -hmm. because it's not like the story of that movie, if you've not seen it is, well, we built a time travel machine and these aliens spilled out of it. And now we have to use the time travel machine to try to fix it. It's aliens attacked and purely by coincidence, totally unrelated. We also have a time travel machine so again, you're combining two different concepts that don't make sense together. Like you should have tied them together somehow. Right. Well, that's what uh, that Tom Cruise one did, where their ability the, the what is it called Edge of Tomorrow, their ability to Groundhog Day was because of the aliens. Yes, that they, was yeah. They have this alien that can manipulate space time somehow, and that's how they're taking over the universe. And and that they found some glitch that lets them borrow that same technique like that's it it's yeah. all unified that it all makes sense and that's a lot of this problem infinite is like that where it's like we live relive past lives also we have this amazing technology the movie replicas another movie no one no one remembers is about keanu reeves playing a man who's trying to put people's consciousness into cr- uh, uh, robots and that's how it starts his family dies and then as an aside his co-worker is like i'm also working on cloning and so he clones his family. So the movie is about a man who clones his family, who also happens to make fully functional robots 
that you could put someone's brain into. You'd think you would make a movie, like, setting up, like, I can put people's brains in robots. Oh, no, my family died. The natural progression would be, now I'm going to put their brains into robots because that's the movie we decided to make. But instead, it wants to have both cloning and artificial intelligence. And and it doesn't spend time on either. And again, there's it's totally unrelated. You've said it stars Keanu Reeves. I am picturing that movie starring Bruce Willis. Am I thinking I of, a diff- of a different movie? <laughs> uh, you probably are. You're thinking of uh, Surrogates with Bruce Willis. What was the problem? Replicas of that is one? a new movie. Surrogates is the one where everybody. I actually like the idea behind Surrogates. Everybody has robotic drone versions of themselves that they that they go out and do. And so everybody's an agoraphobic because everybody's using the surrogates instead of their own bodies. It's not a good movie, but that's I thought that was a fun sci-fi, you know, okay. idea. Unlike Replicas, it at least keeps to what it's trying to be about. Huh. Um, I, I, I guess I had forgotten about both of those movies, and I think that they just occupy the same slot in my memory because they're vaguely... I vaguely remember trailers about... Death oh, and, yeah. and robots and, and overcoming the grief of death or something. And Surrogates anyway. is like a late 2000s. Replicas was like last year. Oh, time all uh, has mashed together for me. Yeah. It's <laughs> like that, that. the Ghostbusters, they released a new trailer for the new Ghostbusters movie. I, if, I swear to God, I saw the first trailer for that 10 years ago. It, right. it feels so long that I've been hearing about this Ghostbusters reboot with Paul Rudd and the fact that it still is not coming out until this winter. It's like, how long has that <laughs> been on the shelf? I'm sure it's not very long ago, but it feels like forever. Anyway. It feels like forever. Um, on the subject of time, I really wanted to quickly talk about the movie Old, which I know you haven't seen, so I'm not going to spoil it for anybody. But Old does a different version of this, which is because Old isn't trying to be a cinematic universe. It's trying to just be, you know, it's clearly a, a one shot film. But I, I and I don't know if you can think of any on the top of your head. I've seen this a lot. It spends so much time trying to justify its plot device that it forgets to like do much with it. And what I mean by that is it's about people on a beach that makes them older suddenly. And the characters spend half the film being like, well, how does this work? Why aren't our fingernails and hair growing so fast? And then they answer that with another character going, oh, dead cells don't age here. And then later they find a corpse that decays really fast. So it's like, okay, so dead cells do age, but they just keep moving And there's this weird obsession with, like, we don't think you're going to believe the world. Uh, When in reality, like, we really don't need much of a push. We'll accept any world if you write a movie where the characters accept it. Um, It's almost like this. It relates because it feels like it's, again, another case of trying to, like, build your world. In this case, a specific element of the world so much that it makes you start asking too many questions. Uh, right. And it's also I, always the least interesting part of any story. Yes. Where if you've got, you know, like in the, the cartoon Bojack Horseman, they don't have this big backstory. It's like, well, why are, why is this a world of humans and animals that talk like humans? Why is that a thing? They don't for one second try to explain it. And it's fine. It's just established yeah. from the very first frame of the show this is a world in which there's people who look like people, and then there's like talking horses that 
that also speak English, and that's just the world. That's it. And you're not for one second like, well, how did how did this happen? Is this a result of like a a genetic experiment gone wrong? And I think when you bring in a screenwriter to write like the fifth movie in a franchise, they can mistakenly think, well, it surely the audience is wondering this. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, unless it ties into the themes of the story, then no, they're not. They really, like, I actually, we, we did not care where the aliens came from. They, we assume they, they're aliens. They came from another planet. Right. Like, where does anything come from? It doesn't matter. That's not, the, that's not the story we're telling. No one was like, well, how did those things evolve? Like, well, no, I've never looked at something and said and asked that question. That's it's, that's not the interesting part of the story because then you're just looking backward and looking inward instead of doing what a story should be doing, which is examining some part of humanity and how people are and the you know the way people react to situations and things you know things like that. I think the Tomorrow War also pulls this because there's the question of like what are the time travel rules, uh, and they try to lock them down and they end up making no sense, right? They're like, oh, you can only travel between this point and this point, uh, which isn't true. <laughs> they say something like, we've built these th- two devices, and you can only time travel to fix points on the two devices. But we're seeing them time travel all all over the place, different times. They're not time traveling to the exact same point in time every time. They go to different locations and battles. Uh, so, like... You could you could have simply had the characters be like we were not sure like this is a found technology or like you you write it in a way where it's just ambiguous and if we like the film we'll just be like fine whatever like you look at Terminator where they're like well or only organic matter can go back and it's like okay that doesn't seem true because they're robots but sure you know like you you, you say you. Like, it's like not knowing when to hand wave the right things sometimes. Time travel plots really have this problem because I, I'm going to let yeah. you on a secret. The reason time travel paradoxes exist is because time travel is not a thing. It, it's not possible. Right. It's, it will never be a thing. It, it can't happen. It is a storytelling device that lets you explore ideas about fate, regret, Thing, you know, if you have a character going back and meeting the younger version of themselves, that story is about what would you say to yourself back then? What do you wish you could change? You know, and then you understand something about yourself, understand something about your parents, why they are the way they are, something like that. It's about exploring themes about the past and about, you know, are we, is our future fixed or whatever. The moment you start digging into the technology or the exact rules, that's always the most boring part of your story because who cares the first terminator nailed it because they they're like asking that the cops have arrested kyle reese because to them he's just this crazy naked man like pointing a shotgun at everybody and yelling about robots and they're like asking him like how does it work how does this he's like i didn't build it i don't care right i didn't build the time machine i'm telling you what what we need to do and that's exactly that is james cameron having some of the best instincts uh, um of anyone in terms of how this type of movie this you know big flashy blockbuster should work which he that movie's made on a small budget but it's still it's high concept it's action he understands you establish the rules the rules are only there to the point that if 
basically, if the audience is sitting there pondering those logistical rules, you failed as a storyteller because they're not caught up in the action or the chase or the, the human story you're trying to tell. Right. So if they've gotten so distracted that they're sitting there saying, well, why were we able to transport back this? Or why can you do this? Or blah, blah, blah. Then you've that you've just lost their attention. That's all that means. And he was very smart about that. They don't they don't have yeah. you know a half hour of explaining. Well, they discovered time traveling nanoparticles that allow them to do this and this. Yeah, keep it keep it simple. This is not a new problem for movies, but often movies fall apart when they break their own internal logic. Uh, that does feel like something that happens more and more lately, but I I don't think it's a trend. Uh, but I do think this is often how that happens. Like the movie old keeps breaking its own internal logic because it keeps setting all these elaborate rules uh, that like when I, when I saw that movie or when I walked out of the theater, the entire audience was just murmuring plot holes to each other. Like, why didn't they do this? Why? Okay. If it was this, then why wasn't it this? Because they kept inviting that thought uh, when, yeah, Terminator makes it nice and simple. They, we don't have we have an unreliable narrator. We have people who don't understand the technology. So when you keep it vague like that, uh, there you don't have to. There's 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 much less to have to pick apart. There's much much less internal logic uh, to break. And I think this applies to the last two episodes we did. Is a lot of this is cases of movies telling us the rules and then breaking the rules. Either if if it's characters. Um, or or specific technology or something like that. Um, yeah. This actually I, ties into the next point in a way. Yeah. That, because like a common complaint about movies these days, one, the fact that so many blockbusters have to be about saving the world or saving the universe, but it creates what's anybody who's tried to tell this kind of story or write this kind of script knows that there's this paradox where you have to be able to make the challenge seem insurmountable and make the bad guy seem invincible. But of course, by the end of the movie, the bad guys still have to win unless you're trying to make some sort of very avant-garde blockbuster where they, everybody just dies for the death star just blows up the good guys and they just cut to credits. So, one problem that you see a lot is where they kind of give the hero seemingly impossible odds and then they put very little thought into how they overcome them. I thought, right, this, I, and this is probably very unpopular, but I thought that Avengers Endgame was garbage because using the time travel in a way that made no sense, but using it as this is literally the only way we can make the characters win. I thought that sucked. I thought that was very bad. I I, know I did. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the idea of like, oh, we get to go back to all the moments we loved and find the Infinity Stones again. And like, it's, it's a good way of, and I know they didn't plan it all. Um, I know when Thanos was first introduced in the first Avengers, they weren't actually sure if he was going to be the big bad guy. They, they had an idea of where they were going, but the idea of paying off all the Easter eggs of like, yeah, every movie would be like, and by the way, this thing's an infinity stone getting to go back and pay them off. I thought was structurally a really good idea. That said, you're right. 
the last movie, they go, by the way, we have time travel. And it's like, wait, <laughs> what? And from then on, they're always going to have time travel. Like, it, they're going to have to write it out somehow of the sequels, right? Because what problem isn't going to be solved that way? And the whole thing with, and I've, there are hundreds and hundreds of YouTube videos about this whole thing with Captain America going back in time and then deciding to stay in the past and then just age through. But that means he allowed like the Holocaust to happen. <laughs> right. All the things he could have prevented as, as a super soldier in the past with knowledge of the next, whatever, hundred years or whatever year he went back to. Uh, it's just so it lets his lets Bucky Barnes be tortured and whatever. It just introduces so many problems. But it was a case where they ended the last movie. They wanted that ending where half the universe had been killed, including half the heroes. So how else are we going to do it aside from time travel? We certainly cannot right. just let the characters live with that loss. You can't expect the audience to deal with that. So it, it's. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, this is this is a type of thing that comes up a lot, and it, and this basically the complaint here is any kind of solution that feels like they wrote the problem first, and then later try to throw together a solution instead of having something that fit like thematically, like held it all together. And I think that actually goes into the over-explaining the universe stuff, where like a lot of the time they're doing that because they're trying to set up some weird loophole or reason um that like the characters have to think of but other times they just straight up like like jurassic world they just straight up nerf the villains where it's like the indominus rex can camouflage and and you you never know where and it's super smart and then it just doesn't do that anymore uh and that's how they solve it where they're like yeah it's just that we just don't we have the villain forget that it can do these super powerful things. Uh, God, man, you got me thinking about Marvel because the next 10 years of Marvel is either going to be surprising and brilliant or it's going to fall apart. Uh, it's going to be a disaster because now that they've introduced time travel, they introduced the Loki stuff where they're like, okay, we're making pet, like, we're making alternate universes now and like timekeepers and stuff. And it's out of control because it is keeps escalating because of the things they introduce. But like, I don't know how they're going to make movies that like matter <laughs> with stakes where people can literally just control time. And I uh, guess this is, yeah, that, that's central to what we're talking about because that's something that clearly was not intended at the start. So when they're right. creating this world in terms of what is possible in this world and having some sort of solid rules for what is possible, they clearly didn't. But I guess comic books don't either because you change out writers and you change out, like they'll reboot themselves and everything. You just keep expanding. Yeah. but. Yeah, that's rough, and especially if you go back and watch the older movies in it, you see how small they feel. Where it's it's you know the first Iron Man, it's him just fighting a rival corporate executive, uh, and I don't. Right. It's so hard to make that movie again without mentioning. Well, why does any of this matter? Why does anything? And so you, I can just imagine in the next big, the equivalent of the Avengers, Infinity War, or whatever that one was called. 
where they're going to feel like, oh, no, and we've and also he he's destroyed all the PIM particles. So we can't go back and fix whatever happens next. Right. That That's what made Iron Man 3 like such a good idea, because, of course, Shane Black, who knows how to do action, he just says, OK, we're going to break all of Tony's suits and put him in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of what you have to do to make things matter now. Um, they're going to find really dumb ways to do that. And like in the case of like, yeah, he destroys all the pin particles that would, of course, be solved by like, but wait, we made more. Uh, and I, I think that's what it comes down to is like it, it definitely like makes like the more and more the odds are like insurmountable, the more and the more the heroes like defeat them the more you go back and wonder like, well, what was the point of the previous stuff? Like Captain America fighting Red Skull. Like, why was that hard? <laughs> if he can also fight Thanos. Um, you, you pointed out the aliens in the Tomorrow War, which is one of my favorite things in the Tomorrow War, which is for people who haven't watched it, there's this big elaborate idea where they have to go through time to fight these aliens in the future who are... Absolutely. There's how many people are left? They say there's only like a couple thousand people. They left said there's five hundred thousand left, and that's in a yeah. future where by that point there should be something like eleven billion people on Earth. So this yeah. is a war that has wiped out ten and a half billion people, and oh no, I'm sorry, ten point nine point <laughs> nine five billion people. There's only and the only people left is like the population of. I don't know, Nashville, Tennessee, whatever right. mid, mid-sized city metro area, you know, it was 500,000 people. And that's it. That's all, that's all that's left in that movie. So it's like, wow, these aliens must be really good at wiping people out. They must have been a real problem. Uh, and the reveal of that movie is that, oh, they were here the whole time in Russia, frozen under the ice. And the characters just, they... They go to, like, deliver a virus that they've been making in the future to wipe out the aliens. So they go and find them in Russia with this virus. And ultimately, they don't even inject them with the virus. They just blow up the frozen ship. Which kills them all instantly. Just explode. They're not explosion proof at all. They're not. And it made you wonder, like, wait, how did they even become a problem? Uh, Like, they're just, like, when they first showed up in Russia... If they started, like, becoming a real problem, we could just bomb them. We have that, like, in the future, they show they have fighter jets and stuff. And it's like, how how are we not winning this war? Yeah, They're animals. To be clear, for those who have not seen the movie, the aliens are like the aliens in the movie Aliens. They're just vicious, big predators. They've got, like, good armor. They're hard to shoot, but not impossible. They've got, like, soft parts of their bodies. But, yeah, they can be exploded like anything else. So, At one again... Point they say... They say their weakness is their necks and yeah, stomach. Yeah, the necks, necks and abdomen, which with yeah. you know, a, a, a large caliber gun from uh, even 100 yards out. Again, these aliens, they, they can like sort of glide, but they can't fly nearly as fast as an aircraft. And they can't like teleport or anything. They just run at normal animal speeds. They have no technology whatsoever. They have no projectile. Like they have projectiles that shoot like a, across you know a building, but they're not... Like, you know, sniper rifles can shoot from a thousand yards away before this alien right. even knows you're there. So in reality, again, the, the joke of this is that you it starts off with a crashed ship of like an alien queen and, a I don't know, a couple hundred alien soldiers. 
and that they emerged in Russia in the year 2048 or whatever and immediately took over Russia. Now, I don't know how well you know history, <laughs> but invading Russia is actually difficult. And yeah, I would say that those, a, a challenge. those couple hundred aliens with no technology whatsoever, and they're like, well, but they breed really fast. It's like, okay, Hitler invaded Russia with something like 3 million troops and 50,000 tanks. And don't get me wrong, it appeared to be going well for a while. Right. But it, when you're invading Russia, there's always a point where after you've been doing it for a while and you start patting yourself on the back, you will suddenly realize, oh, we've we've actually not we're actually not close to conquering these people at all. And and what seemed like a very <laughs> soft target, um yeah, it you would within like I don't know two months of that invasion, those aliens would be like a delicacy in northern Russia where people are intentionally <laughs> hunting them just to eat them because they've decided that they, they taste good and they'd be exporting their meat. And yeah, they, we'd be breeding them yeah, as for yeah, food. Yeah, we would have like an amusement park where you can come see them. It, it's, yeah. so, it's just so funny because, and again, you can say, well, we don't know what happened off screen or whatever. Yeah, but that's the point is that when it comes time for Chris Pratt and three of his nerd friends, and only like one of them has combat training, to take on this bunch of, of aliens, they handle them with no problem whatsoever. Yeah. Chris Pratt and his dad, his elderly father, both of them have some military training, and that's great, but they just have small arms. They don't have a, an Air Force or a nuclear bomb or cruise missiles or drones or anything. And the two of them take down a queen just basically hand to hand. The idea that the other 10.9 billion people on earth in 2049 would not have been capable of doing that is actually hilarious. But the, the film does not in any way try to, to connect those two dots. They want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to say, this is an overwhelming, insurmountable problem. The aliens have taken over the entire planet. But in the end, the heroes win just for no reason. There's, there's no explanation for why they're able to, to win. I feel because like they're not, they're not explosion proof, like you said. I That's feel, it. I feel like The Quiet Place also has this problem. And again, I know that is a beloved series. Those are incredibly well-made movies with some wonderful suspense sequences, universally loved. But the world-building aspect of how these aliens were able to take over, like, totally collapse civilization, again, doesn't make any sense. Now, they make for very scary aliens when it's you and your family isolated in the middle of nowhere. That would be terrifying. That's- that's the thing is um, the Tomorrow War, like the the problem with these movies is often like when you go back and look at a movie like Alien or Predator, they give the they put the heroes in a situation where they're isolated and out and like outgunned, and that's how it works. Um, it always tickled me or Jurassic Park as well. It always tickles me where in this movie someone wants to weaponize them, like they they're like we're gonna weaponize the Raptors and it's like. No, a raptor in a war zone would actually be not effective at all. You just have to shoot it. Like, you know, like you, you could have an unmanned drone bomb a T-Rex. Yeah. That's not what made the movie scary. It's, the, it's giving the heroes, like, not much to work with. Yeah, even on uh, a World War I battlefield, one of those 
one of those aliens would just get shredded by machine gun fire. Yeah. Like they wouldn't make yeah. it across the trenches, even even back in that much more primitive world. Like the artillery back then would just pulverize it the way it pul- <laughs> they pulverized everything else. Which, again, this is I'm going to keep repeating, repeating this disclaimer. The issue is not that it's unrealistic. The issue is never realism. The issue is when you're building your world, does it feel like it makes sense? So if you have a world that is for, I I have this problem with every zombie apocalypse. I think zombie movies and zombie stories are much, much better when they're contained. We have one area, one small town, one city, something that has had a zombie outbreak and it's been roped off from the world, which is exactly what would happen. Like once we found out that zombies, there's an outbreak in New York, we would just quarantine New York and then it would, you know, it would be a problem. But the idea that they would take over the entire world has never made sense in one of these movies. Because when you it comes time to tell your story of the survivors, they always negotiate the zombies without much problem. They can travel. They can do whatever. It's like, well, yeah, but why would an organized military with a, a trillion-dollar budget struggle when you and your five friends with crossbows survived for years? It's like it doesn't... It doesn't make sense, and it it doesn't. You're not making it clear how much of a threat these creatures are. The only zombie thing that I've ever seen try, um, and not necessarily successfully, but the the book World War Z talks about ideas like how the army, how the military is trained to shoot for center mass, and like how grenades are meant to the concussion meant to affect the organs. And if something's already dead, these things aren't effective. Like they actually do try. And I did appreciate that. It's still like, there's no way a zombie apocalypse could ever happen for all the reasons people have already talked about. But I do appreciate when something tries to make it seem like it would make sense. Most of these movies we've, we've seen it a million times they just do a beginning credits montage, right? That they show like, look, society collapsed. All right, on with the movie. Because I think they know, every all zombie movies know in their heart, it wouldn't really last, right? Yeah, because if there's a the, problem that's going to undermine humanity, it's not going to be a problem that could have been solved by fighting. Like, if, if your thing is, well, we didn't fight well enough... That's the one thing we're really good at and we really love to yeah. do. It, like the moment we found out that aliens were spreading in Russia, it, the, you're giving every defense contractor in the world a blank check to come up with a missile or a bomb or a cluster bomb that can take out those aliens. I mean, good God, within six months, we would have stuff you've never seen before. This is our favorite thing. This is this is what right. this is the defining feature of the species is we love to make gadgets that kill each other. So, yeah, that's why, uh, again, if you want to portray a future in which a disease has killed everybody, now that's that's what we suck at. We are not good at at staving off pandemics. But it's like, well, no, humanity lost a war. It's like, yeah, I believe it when I see it. It's that's our favorite thing. That's that's why I think Terminator works, because it's like, oh, no, they just used our own machines against us. And it's like, perfect. Like, you don't need to go into the details, I guess. Like, oh, okay, they fired off all our nukes. All right, that works. Um, you've, you've saved the most ridiculous example of setting up an unsolvable problem and then solving it in a dumb way. You've saved the, yes. the weirdest one for last. This is Wonder Woman 1984, which is 
I was, I think like most people was shocked to know that this was like, like a genie movie. It was like a Wishmaster. Uh, and the idea is that uh, this character becomes the Wishmaster and he's getting more powerful by granting wishes. And the movie, the world becomes this like clusterfuck of wishes that are all like conflicting and everything's, you know, uh, uh, going horribly wrong. And so Wonder Woman, I guess, I forget how she does this. I think it's a broadcast. She speaks to the entire world because the entire world is apparently listening to her broadcast. Is it like psychic? Does she like tap into people's no, brains? No, it's a, I don't it's a television. No, it, it's a broadcast wow. on, yeah, on devices. Okay. And she says to everybody that if they renounce their wish, it'll fix everything. And then everybody does that, which is wild to me. Because like, if you're like a poor kid growing up in a shitty neighborhood who's trapped and you wish for a better life, who who the fuck is this woman telling you to wish to renounce your wish? The idea that everybody in the world would unite and renounce their wish is hilarious. Yeah, because some of these and, people just had their child die in a car accident 12 hours earlier, and they wished that the child was alive again. And she's like going into their TV and say, no, re-kill your child. Yeah. While the child is sitting there begging you not to do it. it it's just, but again, I, I don't... I don't want to nitpick the logic of it because I know that this was somebody's it was done on reshoots or something like this. There's no mm-hmm. way a professional writer would sit down and write this story. And I think if the people one thing we run into and do in a show like this is the people who make these movies rarely are extremely candid about what happened and what went wrong or why they came up with this as a solution. This right. is a messy process. We're going to explain in the next episode why it's such a messy process. So it's possible that this, like that scene where she just talks into the TVs and makes her announce, like that may be something that was done on the second round of reshoots, that it wasn't even, that they wrote the scene like on the set. I don't know. It's, I can't believe that they intended for the from the start for that to be actually how the plot was resolved. It's it's they definitely wrote themselves into a corner. Uh, And I I I can't tell what went wrong here because I do think there are movies where like it's interesting when you're, you know, like a movie is good if you get to the third act and you're like, I don't know how they're going to get out of this. And then if the movie introduces a satisfying way they get out of it, that's wonderful. Uh, This isn't that. And it, it feels like when you're dealing with something like a genie. Uh, you have to like think of a way to get out of it ahead of time. That's in, that's smart. You almost have to think backwards when it's something that's like, like it, it feels very similar to the time travel at Avengers. Which God, the the more you point that out, the more it bugs me. I still like that movie, but like they gave us a situation where it's like, how are they? Thanos is dead. Five years has passed. How are they going to get out of this? And they basically just ex machina it, where they're like. Yeah, here's time travel. Um, Something that isn't really, it's not like set up in a smart way. In the same way, this is like, you're at this point where the world is like out of control. All these wishes are contradicting. The world is in chaos. And you really have to figure out a good way to reverse that. And they just couldn't. Now, Uh, so this is what they went with. 
If you're sitting there listening to this and you're asking us, well, how would you fix the the Thanos problem? How would you have gotten out of any of these examples you've thrown out there where there there's a saying in the world of screenwriting, really any kind of storytelling. If you're struggling to write your ending, the problem is in your beginning. Or as they say in screenwriting, if you're struggling with the third act, the problem is in the first act. Not every movie, not every high concept movie has to have the fate of the world as its stakes. Right. And in fact, that's in many cases, like if you say, you know, the, the fate of the world's at stake and then you come back in the sequel and it's like, oh, now it's the fate of the entire universe. That's such an abstract thing. It kind of doesn't mean anything to the audience versus if it was just the fate of a single person they liked. People felt more emotion when Tony Stark, spoiler, dies his heroic death than they felt at the idea of four billion people vanishing from the earth. It's You don't have to have that. And you look at a movie like Jaws or Raiders of the Lost Ark or even Star Wars. Star Wars, you know, they set up the Empire as... You know, it, it's an empire. It's the, it's the power in the galaxy, but they have a Death Star, a, a weapon that is cap- capable of destroying entire planets. But it can't destroy the entire galaxy. It can't end the universe. It can't end all life in existence. That's not the goal. It is about these rebels with taking out this violent, petty dictator, and then the way they do it adheres to the theme of the movie, which which is... The arrogance of technology versus the grounded faith of this farm boy. And then, you know, and, and they, they never anticipated that any one pilot, pilot in this tiny, fragile ship, would ever be able to find the weak spot in their massive Death Star. And I, don't, I did not need the backstory in Rogue One, any of that, to explain why they had, like, this vulnerability in their Death Star. There are right. plenty of examples from history where massive empires have left some huge vulnerability in their military and their weaponry or whatever, because they just got so complacent and were so arrogant. They, they thought that their enemies were, were dumb and weak and would just be pushovers. And so it adheres to the core theme of the movie. Like it feels satisfying because yeah, what he did was he made a one in a million shot using the force because the enemy didn't know that there were any force users like that or that they would be in that invasion. And they used a tactic that they never, like they they built that Death Star to repel a massive attack from a huge fleet of giant ships. So the idea that one guy in one ship would make it through all of their weaponry and get down into this tiny little trench and somehow not crash and make this one in a million shot. Yeah, they didn't anticipate that. Of course they didn't. So it it makes sense. It all holds together. But also, the, you keep in mind how they were willing to go smaller with the stakes. Where I feel like if someone tried to reboot Jaws today, if they were intending for it to be a billion-dollar movie, they'd be like, oh, no, this has got to be about if this if this shark escapes into the ocean, it will breed, and the shark, these sharks will take over the world. So we have That's to stop that. That's the plot of Deep Blue Sea. Yeah, it, it's not yeah. enough that it's these that it's these three guys versus one shark. That's not interesting. It's like you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. 
a big movie doesn't have to have that as the stakes. An idea that you have to have this crazy over-the-top thing where we've granted Wishmaster powers to everyone on Earth. And, like, this this takes place in the same world in which Batman, like, stopped street crime in Gotham City. <laughs> like, Yeah, it creates this weird situation because it's also a flashback. It's the 80s where it's like, it's weird that people aren't talking about this. It's weird that people don't know who Wonder Woman is after this. That they didn't learn you know? about it in school, like in yeah. your history class, when you talk about well, and then you know, in the Reagan administration, of course, it, everything you know changed in 1984, where just prior to the election, the Wishmaster event occurred, and <laughs> and the, the entire rules of the universe were because I don't think did, did they erase everyone's memories after it happened. I, I don't think don't so. Think they did? Yeah. It's similar to how in the this rebooted Ghostbusters, it seems like people don't like somebody mentioned on Twitter, like people don't seem to remember the Statue of Liberty coming to life and rampaging through New York. Like, yeah, like the, people didn't learn about that in in school. It's like same it, thing with Star Wars, where they they don't know who, like they don't know any of the things that happened in the first Star Wars and the new ones. Yeah, it seems like there would be. And again, I, I know one of the weird things about Star Wars is that it's not clear like what their pop culture is like or what their information ecosystem is like. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but Ghostbusters, yeah, they're on YouTube looking up Ghostbusters, and it's like, how is this not a big historical moment? They've proved that the afterlife exists. Like all that's, religions that's are now big. false. Yeah, because yeah. your your soul can be captured and put into a box. Like yeah. everything you know about your life and what you're trying to do or whatever totally changed on that day. And and I get it. I get that you create implications that are so big that it's just you might as well not even bother. Yeah. But I do love the idea of like a revelation. Religions are wrong. When you die, you become zany and cartoon like. Like I love that that's the afterlife in Ghostbusters that we all have to face. Uh yeah, and I it's think that, that they explain that this is like Slimer. The whole deal is that it's not a person who died. It's that person's, their greed or their appetite, like that part of them is what survived and right. became a ghost. Like, like and it's, there's, it, like, it's like the negative energies from their being is what got left behind and, and so on. Right. But again, the fact that they do not explain that is great. That they, they, yeah. they don't. It, and it doesn't need to be need because to. The, the, the main characters don't know. They're just trying to. They're just ghost exterminators. They don't. They don't care. Right. Like, they don't know. They're what trying the to they're run a business. That's... It's. It doesn't. Yeah. They don't need all this. You know, all the lore and backstory. There's just enough of like all the Lovecraftian stuff. There's just enough there to hint at it, and the rest is just we're taking on what's right in front of us, which is that this one you know building in New York is being possessed by this <laughs> this demigod. It's perfect. Um, you you mentioned Jaws, and I want to talk about that with the next section because um jaws is a movie that i think people don't appreciate how hard it is to do what they're doing at least for the last part of jaws which is it's three men going out into the ocean and to hunt a shark and there's like the obvious question of like why don't they leave why don't they get more help um and this is a big thing that comes up in a lot of survival films which is the idea of creating tension in the survival films by characters making dumb choices. Uh, in the case of Jaws, you have a character named Quint, and they spend a considerable amount of mo- the movie leading up to why would Quint smash a radio with a bat? 
why would Quint burn out the engine? And so they make him an Ahab type. They make him someone who doesn't want to work with too many people. They make it so that they're not believed by uh, the mayor for most of the movie. They set up all these things to make it so that these characters don't have a lot of help. And they do it beautifully in Jaws. Other movies, not so much. Um, it's something that I've noticed, especially in survival or escape genre movies. Um, and I need to point out, this is a really hard thing to get right. I've written a few scripts that are this, and it's really hard. Um, the movie Crawl, which came out not too long ago, is about someone trapped in a basement it starts in a basement. They're trapped in a house during a hurricane and there's alligators everywhere. Uh, it's very Jaws-like, you know, like they're trying to keep it contained. It's actually a very smart idea for a movie. And I think most people would agree that movie is good. People pull it off. It really bothered me because most of the, the first 40 minutes of the movie is spent in a basement and they have to get out of the basement, but there's a goddamn alligator between them and the stairs and they can't get out. And they're sitting there in this one little area and they're talking about all the ways to get out. And behind them, there's like this mosaic brick window that like if you took like a lead pipe or any any blunt object to, you could probably like hit your way out. They never try to do that because it's just not. This is almost not in the writing. It's in the set decoration, like because it's like they need to be trapped. The movie Don't Breathe was very much this, too, where. It almost feels like they're they're battling the screenwriter. Um, a Quiet Place, there's been a ton of people pointing out that... And this goes back to explaining your rules and stuff. Where they say like, oh, we go to this waterfall to talk. Because the, the monsters can't hear us there. And the entire internet was like, wait, why aren't you living by the waterfall then? Um, why aren't you constantly blasting sound at your house? It becomes this thing... Um, the movie Old is very much this too... Uh, like uh, again without spoiling it where there's like certain obvious things characters could try to do and they just don't because if they do the movie can't happen yeah uh, and I've noticed it more and more recently uh, it's I find it very frustrating I think this is a more subjective one because I know people who are not bothered by this at all uh, yeah the argument we're making, because you could say that about, about a lot of the movies we've criticized, that they've made tons and tons of money. So why would anyone take our advice? I guess yeah. my rebuttal is I think a lot of these movies are not going to be remembered the way Jaws is, even the way the original Jurassic Park is. And I know that it's easy to say, well, there's not also not another Spielberg out there. Like, right. it, it's unfair to hold up this one genius, but... The issue for the 500th time is not realism. It's not, well, why didn't they just do this? The issue is that as an audience, what the character, you're supposed to be experiencing the movie, experiencing the movie through these characters and through the, their point of view. And so what they do has to make sense to you or else there's a disconnect. And even right. if you don't are not consciously aware of it, you'll start to feel like you're just watching some stuff happen versus where you can watch a character like go through the problem solving steps and you can see them like, well, I tried this. It didn't work. Now I'm going to try this. It's just much more engaging because 
humans are social animals. You want to be able to relate to the person you're watching, even if their life is very different from yours. You want a sense of what they want and what they're trying to do. And if you're sitting down to write a story, write a screenplay, it should be clear in every single scene why, what the character wants, what they're trying to do, and why they did what they did. Or unless the point of the scene is you're watching someone do something and you're curious as to why they did it, and then you find out later, but then it makes sense. Like if you if the movie opens on somebody searching through, they've broken into an office and they're searching through a desk for some files, you don't know who they are, why they're there, or what those files are, but you can see that they're they're trying to find them. They're trying to not get caught. There's detention as in them not getting caught. You'll find out the other stuff later. But in that moment, you know what they want, which is to find something in that desk. And you know what they don't want to happen, which is to get caught and not get caught. I think I, in a movie, in a lot of horror movies, I think, especially like slasher movies, you know, the, the running joke, and they've made fun of this in Scream or whatever, is that these these characters will do the dumb thing, like they'll go into the dark basement, uh, you know, and they'll they'll go off and they'll do. But I feel like in those slasher movies, you're rooting for the killer. <laughs> you're yeah. you're rooting for the next kill to happen. So it's not frustrating when the teenage, the clueless teenage, you know, uh, jock. Or frat boy, and he goes down into the basement like, ah, what's what's going on down here? You moron with the machete? What are you out there? You cutting down weeds? What do you got a machete for? And he gets his head hacked off. You're not mad because you're rooting for him to get his head hacked off. You're you're watching the movie to see Jason kill people. In a movie like A Quiet Place, where the entire appeal is supposed to be these are smart, competent characters, and it's interesting to watch them work. Because this is a, the rest of the world has fallen these aliens, but these guys are still alive. For me, I found it frustrating to see them make decisions that you earlier established that they that they're smarter than this. It's like they wouldn't be, have lived this long if they weren't smarter than that. But I think it also gets into the world building because the movie is very inconsistent about when the aliens can and cannot hear you. Yeah, for me, I struggle at times to know. It, it, it's it feels like they kind of diffuse the fear because you have the characters talking to each other in their home, and it's like okay, you the sound of your foot crunching leaves outside is loud enough for the aliens to hear from a long way away, but then other times you'll intentionally like I don't know you'll slam a car door or whatever and it's just assume they can't hear that. I, it I, is weird because. It's also about breaking the rules where it's these characters are desperate and they've established them as like they're desperate to escape. They're desperate to get out. And when they make decisions that are so obvious, like there's that classic thing where like they get to the end of whatever they're trapped in, the doors open and then they stop and like talk. And it's like, what are you doing? Just leave. And I've seen that a million times in things where, again, it feels like they're like possessed it's the joke from Cabin in the Woods where, like, they're literally being drugged to make the bad decisions. Uh, we've just seen this particular type, this, like, we have to escape a lot lately, I think. There's that fucking Escape Room series, too. Um, there's there's stuff like the Saw, the Saw franchise where they put them in these elaborate uh, traps, but the traps they don't write them smart enough so they need the characters 
to vary in their intelligence in order for the scenes to work. And it's that it's the fact that it varies so much, in my opinion, yeah. that really frustrates me. And again, I, I know that the appeal of that series is the cleverness of the trap scene. Like, I, you know, there's a lot of competence in the Saw yeah. movies. The makeup work, the effects work, you know, is spectacular. Like, there's, it, it, I don't want to diminish the other things that, that make these movies good or that make them fun. It's just that, I don't know. It, it's it's like, the difference, though, what you said about movies being good in the moment and actually memorable. Uh, There's so many, I I have so many memories of writing about like cracked articles about the new Godzilla or the new planet of the apes and criticizing it and getting like shit for it of people being like, you know, well, the movie did amazing. This is like people defending it. And it's like, when's the last time anybody's gone back and watched rise of the planet of the apes? When's the last time someone went back and watched the first Godzilla of the new one? It's like they do, they drop off amazingly quick when they're just not, like they're fun to watch in a theater, but there's the the idea of like the rewatch value is so low for so many of these movies uh, for a lot of the reasons I think we're pointing out. Um, examples of where, uh, again, to try to be positive, examples of where I think movies that do this well, uh, the original Aliens does it well because every oh, decision yeah. the Marines make, you can see them. It, it, they're using their training. They're they're going with what's available to them. But everything they choose to do, like when to barricade themselves, when to try to go get the other ship, it's all what you would do or what you would hope you would do if you were there. Yes. Um, and then each time the aliens just outsmart them, like the aliens are one step ahead, but it, it's, you know, they, they didn't, um, they're not creating a situation where somebody has to stumble or drop something or, or do something silly to kind of like create tension where it's like, well, the aliens can hear sound. So let's have a character just drop a glass and break it. And then have you sitting there saying, well, why did you have glass at all? You know, why did you have a glass lantern? Why did, why was that in your house? Why, why in a quiet place is she pregnant? Like that one always bugged me because it's a good idea is like, oh, she's pregnant during this time. But when you do the timeline, you realize that she got pregnant while this was happening. Um, I haven't seen the sequel, so maybe the sequel actually fixes that. But when they say, when they say that it's been like X amount of time, she's been pregnant. It's like, so you guys got pregnant during this that's not smart you should have done that yeah although in that case if they were they both got drunk i don't know humans i don't know it's it's certainly irresponsible but um the original night of the living dead which i think every single person listening this has heard of i bet most have not actually (laughs) seen it i'm talking about the original george romero zombie movie from 1960 whatever right not the remake um the Tom Servini, I think, remake, which is still fun. But it is a, what will stand out about you, what's unusual about it, is how extremely, you have a, it's basically confined to these people in a farmhouse who have been chased there by the zombies, and they've never seen a zombie before. Like, this, like the dead have started coming to life, and that's it. And it is them, a serious, you've got a few very competent people 
except for there's one woman who's just passed out for the whole movie. But but they mm-hmm. they're all like everything they do to solve this problem is extremely logical, and they're thinking through it, and they disagree with each other. There's conflict, but it's actually not clear who's right. It's not that thing that some horror movies have where there's just one character who's just being a jerk just to be a jerk and just to subvert everything. Like one guy wants to, like one guy saying, like, well, we got to barricade these windows. And the other guy's saying, like, well, sure, but one, I don't, this is a farmhouse. There's windows everywhere. And two, let's go in the basement. There's one door in and out. And the other guy's like, yeah, exactly. There's one door in and out. If they get in, like, we're just now, we're just a lunchbox for the zombies. They're both right. Like, it, because the other guy's like, well, let's make a run for the, the truck out there. Like, there's, a, I see a truck parked back there. The zombies, you know, they can't do anything against a truck. We'll just go and we'll get away from the, the zombie outbreak. And the guy's like, we don't know if it starts. We don't know if it's got gas. Like, everybody's right in what they're yeah. saying. And then in the end, it kind of turns out that the jerk was correct. They should have barricaded themselves in, in the basement. But at each and every step, everything they do makes makes sense. And it's actually now, if you watch it, it's kind of shocking if you watch it and then you watch a horror movie made like recently, even something like World War Z, to name another zombie movie, like the whole way that a zombified person winds up on board the plane is kind of stupid. Like you just continuously see the whole thing in Israel with how the aliens came over their wall. The whole thing was just... Uh, it's it, it's ever the the plot keeps progressing by people making extremely dumb decisions, and you can say, well, yeah, but people make dumb decisions in real life. Look at look at COVID. Look at where we are. But that's not why we go to movies. <laughs> if if or you're watching, rather these movies, like survival movies, I think are about watching characters do things that we're like, oh, that is clever, you know, and not just the, like not just horror, but like like someone surviving in the woods, a movie like The Edge. Where it's you're watching them make mistakes, but try their best. That is what makes it interesting. Yeah, and then and you know when you write action, there's this whole method to it where there's like, it's I referred to in previous episodes as like a cat and mouse game where we try something and then the bad guys try something, or you know a movie like The Edge, it's the elements you're fighting against, or that the Liam Neeson movie where he has to fight the the wolves. It's, oh, yeah. But there's a push and a pull where it's like, okay, we tried this and it didn't work for this reason, but we couldn't have known that. And so as a result of that, we now have to try this. If you've got a coherent script that someone sat down and wrote beginning to end and spent time with, you can have all of those things. It, it's clear like Aliens is an extremely tight, coherent story beginning to end. It has themes of motherhood and all of that stuff built into it. Um, and Night of the Living Dead obviously was, you know, this was before the zombie genre was even a thing. Like it was a unique work from somebody who, you know, that, uh, that had like a very clear, coherent story in mind. There's symbolism and all of that. It all works. Making movies the way you make them now, by the time you've reshot 40% of the movie, like the odds of any of this hanging together, I, I think it's just... You know you need this chase sequence. You know that in the previous scene, the characters were safe in their bunker. So the connective tissue is literally, well, let's just have this character decide to poke their head out and see what's going on. And then they'll, they'll break something and make a noise and that will attract it. But like right. the, the explanation of why the next thing, the next crisis happens, 
is just I think it's something sort of thrown in off at the last minute in the first a quiet place like the thing with the nail and the stair that was great because that is an example of something you could overlook maybe I don't know that I would walk yeah. around barefoot in a basement any basement even one that I knew well but but either way it's a great setup and payoff but more so often in any kind of horror survival thing it's so it, it so often just comes down to the characters they're stupid. So the movie can happen, and that's it. Yeah. The screenwriter gets involved, it feels like. Um, yeah, also Night of the Living Dead, by the way, ends with the zombies. It ends like Shaun of the Dead with, oh, it, it's not that big of a problem. Because, as we said, it wouldn't be. Right. But it, it was yeah. a problem. It didn't for affect, that moment, it didn't for affect that night. the audience's enjoyment whatsoever. Yeah. Because it clearly yeah. was a problem for the people barricaded in that farmhouse. I mean, they don't. Right. The whole point is they don't know what's happening outside the border, the walls of that house. They have like they get yeah. like a radio report or something. But it's like this is happening all over the place. But they don't know when help good, is coming. They have, right. A good modern version is The Mist, where it's. Again, like these people trying everything they can, but they just don't have many options. And then they don't know when help is going to come. But they don't they don't pretend like, oh, this is going to take over the world. It's like, no, we have like missiles and stuff. We'll be fine. Um, And just this next point, I don't want to belabor it because we've talked about it. uh, Kind of hit on it already. But basically the general idea of never making it clear what's easy or hard in that universe. This is something, if you're sitting down and trying to think of a new universe from scratch, like if you're writing the next Harry Potter or whatever, I think that's something you need to sit down and establish early because I feel like, again, the audience doesn't know when to feel tension if they don't know what's possible. So, you know, I think that you, if you watch a movie, you know, or read a, the first Harry Potter book, watch the first movie, I think you'll see them kind of try to establish early on the scale of like what the wizards can do. But the fact that they have to live in hiding from the non-wizard world implies that they, like they can be persecuted or killed or whatever. They're not godlike, right? Right. But I think the more that universe goes on and you introduce time travel, things like that, it gets more and more loose in terms of like, well, what can be accomplished here? We mentioned in the star Wars movies now, not clear when death is permanent. If it is at all with the emperor and with everything they did in the final movie, they have the it's time travel is a big one. And healing is a big one. I actually noticed this in the first season of um, TNG star Trek, the next generation. They like, revive some they they find frozen bodies that are dead and they revive them and it's one of the worst episodes of the series and it's season one where they're trying to figure it out and it makes this thing where you're like wait so does death not matter <laughs> like can can people just be revived and there's a lot of that now with the new star wars where the the jedis can just heal people or, t- or resurrect people and then it's like okay so I guess everything Anakin was trying to do in the prequels didn't matter. Uh, it's 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 it really comes back to breaking your own internal logic. Yeah, and I think this is I aside from all the many like the references, this was a beef I had with Ready Player One. 
and the with inside their what do they call their alternate world? Oh God, what do they call that piece of shit world? You know, oh, it's something dumb. The, I'm gonna look is it, up it the Oasis? Yeah, yeah, there it is, the Oasis. But I never felt like they established like what was possible in that world, or if you're in a race, like what are you allowed to do? Are you allowed to yeah. have like a vehicle that's just impervious to all damage? And I don't know. Maybe, maybe again, I'm. People are just in it for the references, but it felt like. Once they were in there, it wasn't clear what you could or couldn't do. It didn't feel like those rules been made clear to me. Right, nothing really mattered. They tried to create these ideas of like when you're dead, you lose your character. Uh, but like, can you just create a new character? Um, can you can you buy extra stuff? I don't know. It 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 tried it. It's that thing of trying to like have it have stakes but also it it's all in a video game so it kind of doesn't well everyone wants the same thing when you're writing if you're writing something high concept or that's sci-fi fantasy you want the freedom to basically make anything happen that you want you want to be able to take the story anywhere you want you see this with rick and morty they've created a premise where anything can happen in any episode because they can just go to a universe where that thing is true if they want to do an episode about spaceships they wanted an episode about dragons they wanted an episode where they literally go to hell they can do that because they've established this is a universe in which every possible universe exists somehow and that's fine it's a comedy the the whole thing is they're they're making fun of that idea so with the ready player one it's like well we've got this alternate you know virtual world where literally anything can occur and so because of that you can have the dinosaurs from jurassic park and the car from back to the future and the iron giant and everything but I don't feel like they took the next step of explaining if if anything is possible, then what what am I watching? <laughs> like Right. I think the biggest offender recently is the show Loki, a show that I, I enjoyed, but like uh, Elon Musk compared it to Rick and Morty online. And I don't know whether he knew he was doing this, but as you pointed out, Rick and Morty is a comedy. It doesn't matter that the rules are fluid, you know, uh, because they're just it's like The Simpsons. They're just trying to serve the comedy. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's like no one's watching that and being like, oh, you're taking me out of the story because this contradicts that. Loki created a universe where like literally anything can happen. So at any given moment, the characters are sitting there like, oh, this is it for us. And you're watching and you're like, no, it's not. Uh, to the, did you watch Loki? No. Okay. I, I Without spoiling it, they establish right away that if this thing does this thing, you die. Right? Um, it's it's a weapon uh, that is like, if, if you get hit with this weapon, you die. We see characters die. And then later, characters that we care about get that weapon done on them. And it's like, oh, they died. And the next episode, uh, they're like, but wait, not really. Here's some more rules. And it's that. It's it's it, this will of course bring us into the next uh, topic. It sets ideas up, and then it's like, actually, that doesn't really matter. And so you're left in this feeling of like, okay, so there's no, at any given scene, I don't feel like a character is in any danger. Because it's very clear that the screenwriters are making the rules up as they go. 
and can bring anybody back or can save anybody at any given moment because the world is just so wrapped up in magic and portals and and weird time travel rules that it's like nothing matters uh and i think that brings us into the next problem which is the fact that death doesn't matter anymore the whole episode could have been about this because this yeah. symbolizes the entire issue with trying to make franchises that are intended to go on forever in which your stars have to be on board for any future project. It's, you know, uh, I get it. I do. There's business concerns here. But again, they want me to cry when a character has their tragic death. And then they want to be able, be able to bring them back. They literally want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to eat the cake yeah. and still have the cake. They want to kill the character and still have the character. And they do this all the time. And you will not convince me that this just has no effect on the on the audience anymore. That they don't subconsciously know that Chewbacca did not actually explode in that spaceship. <laughs> and when, yeah, oh my God. They kill off Chewie and they literally bring him back two scenes later. That is that is the worst. Like not for um, one second did you think that that's how they killed off that character that had been around for nine movies? Not for one second. Right. So so you're trying to make me feel something, or and even the characters in the scene, like Finn, kind of doesn't react. Like even they kind of don't believe. It's it's really weird. Well, I mean, all right, Star Wars, I'll give Star Wars the credit of they actually do kill the characters, but then we learn that they come back as Force ghosts and uh, on some occasions are able to use the Force, as Luke Skywalker does when he comes back as a Force ghost and is able to lift a vehicle out of the water. And so now you have to ask the question, wait, could Force ghosts be helping this whole time? Like, why aren't they helping out? Why aren't they, like, fighting these wars? If they can actually affect the real world and not just show back up. Um, I think Marvel is the really bad version, right? Because they they plan their moves in advance. So, like, when the snap happens and and Black Panther disappeared, there's no one thinking, oh, they're not going to bring him back. Because we know they have more movies lined up. You know what I mean? Yeah, and even the yeah, and even the characters that died outside of the snap, which you most people assumed would be reversed somehow, right. like Loki was played like, oh no, he's just dead. And then yep, they they just bring him back. Um I think WandaVision is the worst version because the in, entire plot, did you watch WandaVision? No. I do not have Disney Plus. For whatever reason, Disney Plus is where I drew the line into how many streaming services I would buy. I have a lot. For some reason, I have Apple. I have a lot of them. I do not have Disney. Okay. Well, I'm, I guess I'm going to spoil it a little bit it's for you. It's fine. Yeah. I, I figured you didn't mind. Um, the entire show of WandaVision is about Wanda creating this. She basically psychically takes over this town and makes them play out her favorite TV shows out of grief for Vision's death. That is the entire plot of the, the show. Is Wanda is filled with such grief that she is resurrected Vision in this prison that she created for this town. It's about 
dealing with grief. That's the entire point of the show. I can't stress that enough because you would then base her arc off of that idea. The whole message, it starts from we're talking about grief now. This is Marvel. We're going to talk about grief. We killed off a character. We're going to talk about what that means. The end of the show, they re resurrect Vision. They, the government has his body. They manage to rebuild him. And then the virtual Vision Wanda creates imprints his memory on the new one. It flies away, meaning that literally everything we saw was for nothing. It doesn't, their, their big message about grief was maybe they'll come back. That's it. And that's the thing. Is the, It's the same with the movie Detective Pikachu, where it's all about a kid dealing with his dead father. The, 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 the twist being, nah, he's not dead. So it's like this real easy way out of dealing with the death of a character by just being like, we don't have to ask the hard questions, because guess what? They're alive. Um, Fast and Furious does this with, yeah, they brought back um, Han, because they wanted to make Jason Statham's character a good guy, he can't be good if Han, if he killed Han. The solution is, don't ask those questions. Han is still alive. Like, there's this... It, it's such an incredible cop-out that I do think this is, like, the biggest modern problem with blockbusters. Is this simply that I never feel like death ever matters. They've created time machines and magic and, and every other way. It, it feels... It's hard to care about any any movie for this reason, any big blockbuster. Uh, yeah, and again, it's this ties directly into how movies are made now. That that it's it's like if we've got an IP that seems to hit home with people, we are going to make more of them. Period. And if you're going to make right. more of them, you have to just keep. Like, I tried to imagine if they had tried to make a Back to the Future 4 and 5 and 6 and 7, like, how much undoing of things you would have to do. Yeah. And it's, we talked about previously uh, in, like, story structure, the issue of having a sequel that basically undoes the progress of the previous movie. This was, you know, my frustration with, like, Alien 3, which otherwise, in many ways, very well-made movie, but the it basically destroys the ending of aliens because the right. little girl and the guy who she struggled to save were just basically killed off screen in between movies. Well, here it's kind of the equivalent of that. You want us to feel the emotion of the character dying and really play it up and then just keep cashing in on that famous face. It, that's something that if you're going to both have infinite movies in your franchise, you cannot at the same time expect us to feel the same stakes or anything because you've trained us that this is all temporary just as comic books have you know they've been making superman comics for what 70 years 80 i don't yeah. know how many um i get it i i get that that's the nature of but when you're trying to tell a story that basically has no end point that's almost built into it as as a problem that's going to be there that, that it's there's something like I, we know that the heroes aren't going to die but that's fine don't have them die you can put you know you can put them in peril like we're still watching james bond movies how many of those are there like 30 yeah like you don't have the to... problem 
Oh, sorry. Well, you don't have to keep faking us out with James Bond dying. It's it, yeah. we will still watch. We're watching. It's fine. I think it's that too many movies want to be James Bond. It reminds me of this goes into a bigger problem, which is that movies refuse to end. Now, um, it reminds me of um, I've seen this this British punk band. They're like in their sixties now. I've seen their last show like three times because they keep saying well, that's it. This is our last show. And then they just need money. And so they keep doing it. And you get I get this impression like the last James Bond Spectre clearly designed to be Daniel Craig's last film. And then they're like, yeah, but here's like a lot of money. And he was like, all right, fine. And there's a lot of that. It's a lot of like, this is it. And then it's like, but is it? Because nobody believes you. No one believes these franchises anymore when they're like, this is the end. Like, Endgame is that where it's like, signing off these characters, that's it for, for Robert Downey Jr., that's it for Scarlett Johansson. It's like, really? Because if you offer them more money, I'm sure they'll be back and you'll just write a reason for them to be back. Because nothing, everything feels like it's a lead up to the next thing. To the point that in The New Black Widow, they end on being like now check out hawkeye uh because it just there's no definite ending and because of that most of these franchises are destined to fizzle out instead of getting to decide how they end right uh, it's like it's it's oh yeah what what's that well, it's like the difference between a tv show that gets to choose its own ending like breaking bad versus a show that just gets canceled yeah, and just because the audience is like, like at some point, The Walking Dead is just going to end because people aren't watching it anymore. It's not going to end because they sat down and came up with a, a nice, like, cool ending way to wrap up the story. It's going to end because they just finally it wasn't turning a profit anymore. If I'm not saying for sure that Tony Stark is going to come back to these movies, but if he doesn't, it will not be because they decided that, no, we, we want that death to have emotional impact. It, it will be because Robert Downey Jr. just didn't feel like making these like yes. very labor-intensive, effects-heavy movies anymore and just doesn't want to do it, and he's got more money than he'll ever, ever be able to spend. If he says he wants to come back, they'll bring him back. If any of these people, if they want to come back, they'll bring them back. If, they're, if they don't, it's purely because they, the actor moved on. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm assuming Robert Downey Jr. will come back as, like, the new Jarvis, because you can pay him, you know, millions of dollars to sit in a room and talk into a microphone, and I'm sure he'll have no problem doing that. They'll find ways, you know? Uh, and, yeah, it's it's made it so that, like, I remember watching Endgame and thinking, like, wow, they actually finally killed people after 10 years, and then immediately they took half of those deaths back. Uh, it's incredibly frustrating. Uh, I don't even know if we want to hit on the last thing because I feel like this this is really the big problem uh, that encapsulates a lot of what we've talked about for these previous episodes, which is the, the lack of an ending. Everything is planned to go on forever until it fizzles out. I think... The points about the CGI, I think we're going to make a lot of that points when we talk about like previs and why all that stuff has to be done in advance and why it feels so weightless or whatever. I think that's going to come up in our next our next episode. 
So we'll save it for that. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Sweet. That's a little that's a little tease for people uh about the next uh, episode. Any other thoughts? Anything you want you want to say that we like missed? No. That's we've we've got one more we're going to dig into like the process by which these movies are made. We have touched on a little bit that this is the difference between you know, making tacos at home and then boasting that your tacos are better than the ones you get at Taco Bell and then Taco Bell saying, well, you try making a billion tacos a day. <laughs> right. And let me tell like, you, Taco Bell, they make some they make some good trash. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, that there is a different challenge at play here that that it's it's fine to sit here on the sidelines and, and poke holes in it. But uh, we're going to explain what a, a nightmare it is to make one of these movies again these people very well compensated for the most part <laughs> they're not but if you're wondering why you can get somebody who made a great indie movie and suddenly they're handed a marvel franchise or a jurassic park franchise that's that's trash there's reasons for it we're going to dig into that next time next time uh for now jason thank you so much for doing this with me um we we were supposed to plug stuff at the beginning of the episode i think that's what we decided last time and we didn't do that so you should plug stuff now. Okay. Uh, I am writing at jasonpargin.substack.com. Substack is just a blogging site where you can also, if you click a button, you can just have the post emailed to you, which most people prefer these days, apparently. Um, the last book is called Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick. I've been promoting it on these podcasts for the last eight months. If you're saying, why, Jason, eight months later, are you still promoting your book? Keep in mind, I released a book in a pandemic when all bookstores were closed. <laughs> so I, I need I need something. people to keep buying it a year later because the whole thing with trying to get everyone to rush out and buy the book that week. Not a thing when every Barnes & Noble was closed for disease reasons. Right. That is, man, that's quite a thing. <laughs> I'm starting to think this pandemic was bad. <laughs> separate you know? episode we can talk about that. all right all right all right um yeah uh so everybody check that out uh also uh i got a patreon that i need to plug patreon.com slash gamefully unemployed that's the uh that's where you're listening to this right now we have a patreon you can go on there there's exclusive podcasts like tom and jeff watch batman and fox Mulder is a maniac and star trek the next futurama those are all podcasts you get for five dollars a month just for five dollars, you get a you get a whole lot of podcasts. Um, it's something like one, two. I, I I don't need to count it now. It's something like six or seven a month for five dollars. It's a good deal. Check it out. Uh, that's it. Uh, I guess we still don't have a sign off. And we'll so, see you at the movies. Excellent. Yeah.